Everyone needs a pastor. A visit to the pastor's study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and help from those with proven experience in Christian service. We want you to be part of the program during the 30 minutes ahead. To visit the pastor's study today, text your question at 516-367-0391. Again, that's 516-367-0391. Now welcome to today's Visit to the Pastor's Study with Pastor Bill Shishko. And I am your host, Pastor Bill Shishko. We invite your calls if you're listening on Saturday. Live call-in number 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions anytime in the week, 516-367-0391. In our previous program during this month's series of programs on the Christian's role and responsibilities in the civil realm, or what we commonly call the state, we began a fascinating conversation with Dr. Alan Strange, theological librarian, registrar, and professor of church history at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana. His doctoral research focused on the issue of the relation of church and state from an historical perspective. His doctoral dissertation, published under the title The Doctrine of the Spirituality of the Church in the Ecclesiology of Charles Hodge, delves into the different ways that Presbyterian churches in the North and in the South addressed, or didn't address, as the case may be, the volatile issue of slavery. And that was a fascinating interview. I commend it to you, Church and State Part 1, on a visit to the pastor's study. Now, just by way of a quick review from the last program, number one, we're not talking about the role of individual Christians in the civil realm in everything from voting to helping establish public policy, especially in a country in which the powers that be, as the Word of God speaks of those in authority over us, are so closely connected to its citizens. Well, it's especially important that Christians not neglect the civil realm as they seek to live responsibly in the world. That we'll speak of briefly in the counsel to the pastor's study at the end of the program. We are talking about when and how the Christian church, local churches and churches as organized bodies, we sometimes call them denominations, should address matters regarding the state, what we commonly speak of as political issues, or if churches in their organized capacity should ever address civil or political issues. And number three, by the spirituality of the church, We mean that the church's commission in the world is given by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. The church is to be about the work of making disciples of men, women, boys, and girls by the means given in Holy Scripture. These means of grace, as we call them, are the various ministries of the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments of baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and I would add to those Christian fellowship. These means, as the Scriptures themselves say, have divine power to destroy strongholds, destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to obey Christ. But it would seem from that powerful passage that you can read in the Bible's book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that the church should have a rather comprehensive ministry that would include addressing whatever the Word of God addresses, including political issues. So, how do we preserve 
the spirituality of the church in its work of making followers of Jesus Christ the Lord without consigning the church to irrelevance in the political sphere. On the other hand, how is the church to address civil or political issues to which the Word of God speaks clearly without losing the church's mission of making disciples? Well, Dr. Alan Strange is our guest again this week to help us make our path through this narrow way. So if you're listening on Saturday, you can call in with your questions, that live call-in number, 631-955-5400, or you can text your questions anytime in the week, 516-367-0391. Put that under Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391. Dr. Alan Strange, welcome to this continuation of our last visit to the pastor's study. Thanks, Bill. Good to be back with you. Oh, we've got a lot to do, Dr. Strange. Let's dive into the deep side of the pool. How do we avoid the spirituality of the church being misused today so that the church becomes irrelevant in dealing with current church-state issues? Well, Bill, you are picking up right right where we left off last time, as promised. And I end my dissertation with this sentence. I talk about how we need to recover the doctrine of the spirituality of the church for the ongoing dialogue about how the church is to relate to the world in which it finds itself. And here's the thing, both in how it distinguishes itself from the world and how it gives itself to the world. Now, a good example of the church, even with regard to the slavery issue, rightly exercising the spirituality of the church was what the Church said in 1818. The Presbyterian Church, the mainline Presbyterian Church in 1818, said this at the General Assembly, We consider the voluntary enslaving of one part of the human race by another as a gross violation of the most precious and sacred rights of human nature, as utterly inconsistent with the law of God, which requires us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and as totally irreconcilable with the spirit and principles of the gospel of Christ. And it calls for the complete abolition of slavery throughout Christendom, and if possible, throughout the world. So now here's a church that understands it's a spiritual organization, and yet not muzzling its proper prophetic voice to say slavery is wrong. Another good modern example is maybe you and your listeners remember what happened with that great tsunami back in 2004 in the Indian Ocean, uh, the response to that tsunami was overwhelming by, by Christians, Christian organizations, Christian churches. Um, Hindus and Muslims often said it's karma or the wrath of Allah, and actually did very little, though most of the people were Hindus and Muslims. And Christians must not respond this way. They can't respond this way. And the doctrine of the spirituality of the Church may never be taken to mean that the Church should fail to love its neighbor, like the Good Samaritan, right? We have to seek to be a good neighbor, and we must seek to preach the gospel and to do good to all men. Not only such a holistic approach is needed, but it's not at variance with the spirituality of the Church, but I would say it's a part of a proper living out 
of the spirituality All of the right. church. We're circling around the runway. We haven't gotten there yet. But... Uh, all right, Dr. Strange, as you well know, the doctrinal standard for, for those who hold at least a historic Presbyterianism includes the statement that the church on its various levels, as I'm quoting now from the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, not to intermeddle with civil affairs which concern the commonwealth unless by way of humble petition in extraordinary cases or by way of advice for satisfaction of conscience if they be thereunto required by the civil magistrate. Lots of questions connected with that. Can you give yep. us a contemporary example of an extraordinary case? Well, let me, let me just say about that, Bill. What you just read says that there are two ways in which the Church can directly interact with the state. Mm -hmm. the, the last one you said was if the, if the, the civil magistrate, the congressman or the president or somebody asks the church, what do you think about this? We want your opinion. Or the first case, which says that the church on its own initiative, in an extraordinary case, may make a humble appeal. Now, I have to say this. This was written, as you know, Bill, in a time when not only were church and state together, but there was a notion that the state was under God as well as the church. Now, we believe the church and state are properly separated as institutions. But we don't believe God and the state are properly separated. We don't believe that faith and politics have nothing to do with each other. And so this is a real challenge, because we're living in a time in which the civil magistrate in a secularized society, which is not the kind of society they had when this confession was written, but it's where we are now, in a secularized society, the civil magistrate doesn't come and ask us what we think about anything. And in terms of cases extraordinary, well, a lot of what's gone on, particularly, say, in this country since the Second World War, when we've really secularized, has been extraordinary. We've seen same-sex marriage legalized. We've seen massive taking of life unborn life in the womb. We've seen some massive shifts in our culture, all of which I think to the divines at Westminster would present themselves as rather extraordinary, extraordinary cases, cases. Yeah. unthinkable I, cases sure. back in the day. Yeah, well, let, let me go back just for a moment on, on the matter of uh, being required by the civil magistrate. I think, and I'm sure you'd agree on this, we shouldn't just think of the magistrate, say, on the federal level. There, right. are, there are cases locally, especially in, in, in rural areas, I'm not sure, well, even in urban areas, where ministers are called in to, uh, at the request of mayors or, or aldermen or whatever, in, in order to give their opinions on certain matters. So uh, perhaps we're cutting off our noses to spite our faces when we're, when we're just dealing on the federal level. But, okay, let, let's go back to the extraordinary cases. The, though, are there other ones that you would think of? Those, those are the ones that come to my mind as well. Not, I mean, you know, not anything so particular. The creation ordinances certainly, I think, would guide us. The creation ordinance being, you know, labor and marriage and family and Sabbath and worship, because that pertains to all mankind. And so those have been things that the civil magistrate, even you can read this in that book, I talk about how Hodge interacted back in his day 
in how the church didn't want mail on Sunday. They were there were a lot of issues like that having to do with Sunday and other things that they interacted with. But you're so right about the local level bill, and I think that we as we as pastors need to be very open to where we can, you know, serve as chaplains in perhaps local organizations. Or I'll give you an example here. We had a young man some years ago when I was pastoring who was involved in something. Uh, he, he broke the law in a local setting in a shoplifting. And um, when, when he was before the board, the civil board that was to, uh, to, to, you know, sentence him, I went with him and his parents, and they spoke to me, and they were amazed. And they said, if pastors took this kind of interest, we, this would be fantastic. And so they were actually open, and in our own town here where I live in Illinois, South Holland, the mayor uh, is a Christian and, and, and openly says, I am influenced by Abraham Kuyper and his view. And I've spoken to him and had consultation with him. So it, it is the case that you're, you're quite right. Local levels op- give us great opportunity oftentimes to speak into things, and it's more welcome sometimes than than we might imagine. Yeah, I found the same thing as I've worked at, when I was a pastor uh, on a number of occasions with, with uh, Department of Social Services with various matters, and, and as was the response with you, they were appreciative that a minister right. would get involved with working at those things. Well, uh, Dr. Alan Strange is my guest today as we're dealing with the whole issue of church and state. We've got a lot more to do, and we'll do that after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. It's not enough to listen to pastors on the radio or to watch them on television. Everyone needs a biblically faithful pastor and everyone needs a biblically faithful church. A Visit to the Pastor's Study is a ministry of the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in the metropolitan New York area. We're no substitute for a faithful pastor in a local church, but we are a supplement. Visit our website, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org, and you can bring the ministry of this program right to your electronic device. Here you'll find archives of past programs, a weekly message from Pastor Bill's Pastor's Post, helps for pastors, helps for congregation members, material for officer training, and much more. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. And we also invite you to contact the host of this program, Pastor Bill Shishko. You can email him at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. He'd love to hear from you so that he can bring his pastoral ministry to you personally. That's visitpastorbill.com. Bill at gmail.com. Remember, everyone needs a pastor. And now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Your host, Pastor Bill Shishko, with you today, Church and State Part 2. My guest today is once again Dr. Alan Strange, professor of church history at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Dyer, Indiana. You can delve deeply into this topic through uh, Dr. Strange's doctoral dissertation, The Doctrine of the Spirituality of the Church and the Ecclesiology of Charles Hodge. That's a steak dinner, especially for those of you interested in church history and particularly 19th century 
Presbyterian church history. So, Dr. Strange, I want to remind you, you can text your questions to me any time in the week, 516-367-0391. Put that under Pastor Bill. You can email me your questions. Visit Pastor Bill. That's all one word. Visit Bill at gmail.com. So, Dr. Strange, by what standard does the church make a determination regarding whether or not to address the state? And I would add whether or not a matter is an extraordinary matter. Well, it's obviously a matter of judgment. Um, Historically, as we mentioned in the last time, uh, beginning with Calvin especially, he would speak of the second use of the law, which was the civil use of the law. So I mentioned a moment ago the creation ordinances, but the second table especially, right, of the law, which is to say the Ten Commandments, the second table have to do particularly with how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the civil magistrate is to concern himself with how we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think, again, the civil magistrate has made some serious errors in recent decades, decriminalizing, for example, everything to do with the marriage and family, say decriminalizing adultery, is a fairly serious departure in the West from where we've been in understanding this. That affects the creation ordinance of marriage and family. That affects the Seventh Commandment. Obviously, uh, legislating for same-sex marriage affects that Seventh Commandment. The Sixth Commandment is very much impacted uh, by the slaughter of unborn innocents. And it was interesting. I was talking with another Christian, and I said, innocent. And he said, well, nobody's innocent. Aren't we guilty of of Adam's sin and our own sin? And I said, that's not what we mean when we speak of the unborn as innocent. What we mean is they haven't been judged guilty at law. No one is to be put to death by the civil magistrate without a due trial and being judged guilty at law. But we put lots of people to death, those precious unborn innocents who have not been. And this is a thing, Bill, that I think that the Church should speak to. I think it should speak to it, first of all, in the pulpit. The pulpit, as it addresses the congregation, what do we do in the pulpit? We speak about the what. In other words, we say, here is the gospel, and here's our response to the gospel. And part of our response to the gospel, the so what, is how should we then live? And we say for all, this is the way we should live. We should live with this kind of consideration of life of unborn life, of lives of others. We should live with this kind of consideration of our marriages and of our husbands, our wives, each other. And so I think the Church needs to be about the business of being the Church. It needs to preach clearly the Gospel. But then it can speak, just as you say, it can speak into whether it's the General Assembly, like it was in 1818, saying slavery is wrong, or our General Assemblies or our Presbyteries, are our sessions today speaking to local bodies and saying we need laws that restrict and forbid infants being put to death? This is our modern Holocaust. This is our modern shame, yeah. uh, along with a number of other things. Sure, and you see the 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 well, I want to say the hypocrisy in it. We certainly have laws against against stealing, which is a violation of the eighth commandment. We have. Uh, violation. Right. We have laws against 
against perjury, against lying right. under oath, and and yet we there there's there, there's a concerted effort not to have laws that restrict the killing of the unborn. Why why do you why do you think it is that 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 some ministers, elders, churches are so reticent about making what to me are very clear issues that should very clearly be addressed. Why is there that backwardness? Well, I think, Bill, don't you think the present-day culture is one of great fear and intimidation for Christians giving testimony to their faith in Christ, giving testimony to the veracity of Scripture, the truth of Scripture, saying the Lord himself has spoken— I think we're just very backwards about that because it seems or it gets tarred as unloving, uncaring, when in fact it's very loving and caring. Let me just pick up on what you said, though. We, we have laws against these other sorts of things. And let me say this. If, we're, if truly the secular line is what prevails, in other words, if truly there is no God and thus we're products of chance evolution, I don't see why any of these things would make its way into law. How are there laws against anything? How do we even care for each other? People want the consequences of the Christian faith in a secular society, Bill, without the actual Christian faith. And my wife and I just saw a very striking example of that last night. We went to this new film. I'm sure your listeners may be aware of it. Uh, that Tom Hanks is in about Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers right. called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We saw it yesterday. And Mr. Rogers is a very lovely person in many, many ways. But he was a mainline Presbyterian minister. And what he was talking about on his program with children were what I would call the consequences of the gospel, loving each other, being kind to each other, being caring of each other, understanding of each other. But there was never a mention of the gospel. There's never a mention of Christ. Now, Bill, in an atheistic, naturalistic, materialistic world, I don't know how you can really talk about loving and caring for each other in a world made by God, in which Christ has come to redeem us from our sins and has empowered us to live for him and to love each other. I understand what Mr. Rogers was calling for, but I don't understand it in a Christless world. And it was really a very sad thing to see, in many respects, a beautiful message, but no basis for that message. No preaching and proclamation of Christ. And that's what we have to do, Bill. We have to preach the gospel very clearly. We have to preach Christ, and we have to preach the consequences of the gospel. Beautifully put. Dr. Strange, your, your contact information, maybe give us your email if people would like to reach out to you. A strange at midamerica.edu. It's all lower caps. A strange at midamerica.edu. Many, many thanks, Dr. Alan Strange, for being my guest today. Well, Good comes, as always, Bill. Many thanks. Time now for counsel from the pastor's study. Let's shift gears and, and let's speak about you personally. What's your role as a Christian, as a part of Christ's church, as you deal with things of state, of, of, of political things? My counsel to you is very simple. Don't keep your Christian convictions out of the voting booth. I recently read an article about a medical doctor who performed over a thousand abortions following a crisis in his personal and married life after the tragic death of his young daughter. He came to genuine faith in Jesus Christ. 
He soon realized that he'd been party to the killing of the unborn. He renounced the practice. He refused to do any more abortions, and then he spent as much time as he could trying to explain to others how abortion is the terminating of human life. It's nothing less than manslaughter. He came into contact with thousands of people who embraced what we commonly call the pro-life position, and they embraced that position thoughtfully and with passion. But what the doctor couldn't understand is why so many people who are pro-life and who realize that abortion is self-evidently the barbaric destruction of human life would nevertheless vote for candidates who unashamedly supported abortion in many cases through the third trimester of a pregnancy. And frankly, I can't understand that either. Political party loyalty should never override your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and the final authority of his word. And political positions, right, left, center, should never be more important than the clear teachings of the word of God as they bear on civil or political questions. Never Don't keep your Christian convictions out of the voting booth. You may, and probably will, wrestle to come to a conclusion about the person you believe is the best political candidate for a given office, the person that you believe will be the best instrument of God to see government on whatever level restraining wickedness and encouraging righteousness. You'll need to think through the issues carefully, listen to the thoughts of other mature Christians who are also trying to figure out the wisest way to vote or act. You're going to need to pray for wisdom. But whatever conclusions you come to, don't keep your Christian convictions out of the voting booth. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including thinking through political issues and voting, do all to the glory of God. Jesus Christ's kingship demands nothing less. Remember, Sunday's the Lord's Day. Be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. And remember, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to this week's A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated in the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week for another Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.